Good morning, church. It's been a few weeks since uh, I've been up here. In fact, I asked James. I said, man, uh, can I, I don't know if I remember how to do this. So, pro tip. He said, don't use uh, cloud-based sermon <laughs> services. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Yeah, I like the epic music, but here's the interesting thing, though. Um, when we talk about the parables of Jesus, they're not very epic. Can I just say that out loud? They're not very epic. I mean, they're useful, of course. They're, they might be insightful. They certainly give great illustrations, but epic? No. They're not very epic. In fact, the parables are quite common, actually. They're run-of-the-mill, sort of mundane. And you know, the truths are powerful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But those truths are often very hidden inside of those common stories. And so today, I want to look at four parables. Now, don't panic because they're clustered all together, okay? So we're going we're gonna to take them as a whole, not just individually. <clears throat> and I want to talk about these, these four and I want to point out something to you. Uh, this is an assumption that I make. That our, our author, whoever it is, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or even John, and they're talking about these parables of Jesus, the assumption is that, that the author is trying to communicate something to us as the reader. That's my assumption. Because things like choice choosing which of the parables, because Jesus apparently preached with a lot of parables, the choice and the order in which the author puts them has meaning to it. Does this make sense? There's, there's a reason why Mark reports what he reports in the order that he reports it, because he's trying to communicate something. The danger that we often have whenever we open narrative, especially like the, the four Gospels, is that we, we think it's just a random collection of stories. But it's not true. There is an arc to that book. There is uh, an agenda to, that, to that, that writing because an author always wants to communicate something. Otherwise, why sit down and write? Okay? So my, my assumption here is that that the author has chosen and ordered these stories, these parables, for a very specific reason, and they mean something. There's a reason. It's not random. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Many of you know Mark is my favorite of the four Gospels, not because it's short, but because it's very action-oriented, and it's the first of all of the, the Gospels that are written, and so there's a rawness and energy to it that I just love. So I want you to see in Mark chapter 4 we, where we find four separate parables. One of them is long and includes an explanation. One is quite short, and then there are two that are in between as far as length goes. These four parables, these stories. And I know that we tend to look at each of these parables individually, which is fine. We can learn something from it. However, we can also learn something from the whole. And so my, my focus today, my goal, is to kind of zoom out so that we can see the bigger picture that Mark is trying to communicate in this fourth chapter. So Mark chapter 4, if you haven't punched it in yet or turned there, I'm actually going to be starting uh, in about verse 2 or 3, if I remember right. 
Yes, um, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, uh, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not uh, have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. So far, so good. How many of you have actually heard this parable before? I'm going to tell you, this is one of the first parables I remember learning as a kid. I don't know why. Um, I don't remember a flannel graph with this one at all. I don't. But I remember this particular story. I probably was in the second or third grade when I, when I first kind of heard it and somebody taught about it. And it's one where, um, fortunately, the disciples don't fully understand. In verse 10, um, when he was alone, the 12 and others uh, around him asked him about the parable. Uh, this is an important feature. This is something that we need to think about a little bit. <clears throat> so two things here. First of all, we read about the seeds, and we read about the ground. But can we be honest? It's a little dull, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, again, yeah, a farmer went out to sow. Big deal. Everybody sees that. Farmers go out and sow all the time. They're kind of in backwoods Galilee. There's all kinds of farmers there. So it's kind of a, a dull thing. That's the first point. Second of all, there's a hidden truth, and so the disciples come up, and they're scratching their heads like, what did that mean? That's the David version, of course. What did, what did that mean? What was that one all about? You know, there are a couple of things that we have to keep in mind here. We have to orient ourselves into the story. So let me hit the pause button, because it is crucial for us to understand this. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes up on a mountainside and calls these disciples, so that they might be with him, and so that he might send them out to preach and have authority over evil spirits. That's Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 6, he says, Mark writes, that Jesus sent them out two by two to preach and to have authority over evil spirits. Okay? So, Mark chapter 3, called to him those he wanted, Mark chapter 6, he began to send them out two by two. Which, by the way, if you're doing ministry, great idea to have somebody come along with you. Worked for Jesus' disciples, it can work for you too. Good idea for to go out two by two. So, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 6. Everything in between is training. Everything between those two things. Think of it this way. It's like the first seminary. Right? There are certain things that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples before he sends them out to actually perform the tasks that he's called them to. Does this make sense? You, you have got to understand this because everything between those two verses is crucial not only for their understanding but for our understanding on how to operate as disciples of Jesus. 
And so here we come in Mark chapter 4. This is the first major block of teaching that he gives to his disciples. Now, he's, they witnessed him do other things, of course, but this is where he sits down and gives them parables, gives them teaching, and they come up and they want some, some explanation. It is crucial that we understand this, that all fits, fits together like that. He is prepping his disciples to go and preach. And so this is kind of the equivalent of the author, Mark, waving his hands, saying right up front, he's going, pay attention, this is really important, you, you must understand this. So immediately afterwards, what we find is the explanation. Let's read this. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How, will, how, how then will you understand any parable? Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. The farmer sows the word. Don't forget that. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed, growing, uh, seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Now, please understand, we could dig an entire sermon just on that alone, but I want you to see where this is going. So he gives this parable, and he gives an explanation. This is the long one, okay? He goes through all of this. He's training his disciples. He's trying to get them to see something. And then we read, He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Wait a second, didn't we just hear that? Yep, we did. We don't see the light, but the light helps us to see. Now, some of you know that we foster kittens. Kittens. Lots of them. We now have one, because the rest have been adopted. This is great. I happened to step on it the other night as I was going from the bathroom to my bed in the dark. And all of a sudden I thought, oh yes, lamp on a stand would have been useful at this point, right? You know what this is like. Things that are hidden are supposed to be, are supposed to be seen. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Do you bring a lamp? Now, wait a second. Does that remind you of any other passage about lamps and lights? Here, here's a hint. Amy Grant. <laughs> right? Some of you will remember this one. The sower sows the word, but then we get this thing about the lamp. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. 
huh, what's the lamp and light? Your word. The farmer sows the word. Hmm, interesting. Because it seems like we have two parables here that somehow are related to the word of God. Keep this in mind. This is an important feature. We have two parables that seem to be about the word in some way, shape, or form. But then Jesus makes this shift. It's a very interesting shift that he makes. Pop down to, oh, I just lost my bookmark. Pop down to verse 26. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Hey, wait, we just heard that, right? Okay. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Keeps going. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Well, that was helpful, right? So, what's happening here? Because this is, this is fascinating. These are relatively short. And they, they still kind of have that agrarian sort of theme to it, and this idea of seeds and, and planting. And yet, the focus is very different. Because in the first, it's, the first part, it's, it's the Word of God, but the second part is the kingdom of God. Did you notice that? What shall we say the kingdom is like? The sower... The farmer sows the word. The kingdom is like a seed. You seeing this? So somehow the word of God and the kingdom of God are connected. This is not random. This is on purpose. There's something here that Mark is trying to communicate to us as the reader. Now, I don't know about you, but I like pictures. Pictures make my life a little bit easier. So I want you to see this. Sower and lamp seem to be about the Word of God. The kingdom, seed and, and mustard seed. That seems to be about the kingdom of God, these two things. <clears throat> now, I have conveniently left out a couple of verses. Because I think that the key to all of this we find in verses 24 and 25, this, this connecting point. And I think this is really important for us to pay attention to. Mark 4, 24 to 25. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. Wait a minute, didn't he just say, he who has ears, let them hear? Yeah. When he was talking about the word, he said, 
If you have ears, hear this. Now he says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now this is puzzling, isn't it? This is very strange. Because this is smack dab in the middle of these four parables. The Word of God, the Kingdom of God, and now we're talking about measures. We're talking about some type of, of, of giving and taking, and it's, it's a little confusing. Consider carefully what you hear. Remember, in that day and age, most people did not necessarily read. They received things through hearing, right? So it's their inputs. It's their news feeds. Got it? And he said, if you have ears, let them hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Now, also in chapter 3, Jesus has a little altercation with some guys called Pharisees, religious leaders. In fact, most of the Gospels talk about Jesus doing this with the local religious leaders. He just had a little tussle with them in chapter 3. Please remember, these Pharisees are religious men. Not women, they're men. They're serious students. Many of them have memorized much of what we call the Old Testament, at least the first five books. Memorized, chapter and verse. They're reading the same scripture that Jesus is. The Word. They're reading the same things, but they come to a vastly different set of conclusions, a vastly different um, interpretation, a vastly different understanding. Would you agree with that? They're reading the same thing, and they're coming to a different conclusion or an understanding. By the way, this happens still today. Did you know that? We have people who read the same Bible who have very different ideas about it than us. Pastor Dan and I met with a guy not too long ago, um, I guess it was several weeks ago now that I think about it, who came out of a different tradition, theological tradition, um, very serious student of the Word, and uh, believes it, believes in the God of the Bible, believes the Bible, and yet he had a very different understanding of things than, than what we do here at Thrive Church. Doesn't mean that they're wrong. Doesn't mean that, um, that we can't, you know, still have some kind of fellowship or discussion. It just meant that there were certain things that we're going to have to be careful of when we talked about. Same book. Same seriousness. Different interpretations. And I think that is in part key to what we find in this verse. What you use to measure will be measured back to you. What you're looking for in here, you will find. If you want to find a list of rules and regulations to follow, you can find them. You can find them here. You can find all kinds of them, Old Testament and New Testament. If you are looking for social justice, you're going to find it in here. You'll find all of that also in here. When left to themselves, it's, it strikes me that human beings are prone to one of two extremes. They're prone to either legalism, B 
because there's a standard by which we can measure ourselves, or we're prone to a theological liberalism because it doesn't require anything of us. Does that make sense? And you will find both in that book. Because both sides of those extremes point to the same word. What you use as a measure will be measured back to you. Does this make sense? I think this is an important feature. If you want rules, you can find that. If you want um, strictly, um, you know, help everybody else out, you can find that too. But also, you can find love and grace and mercy and healing and hope. And that's good news. I like this part in verse 25. Whoever has will be given more. When you find the kingdom of God in the text, it's hard not to see anymore. When you find good news in the Scripture, it's hard not to see good news in the Scripture. And I have lots of friends and I have relatives that they look and they see more rules that they have to follow. And, and you've probably experienced that too, but when you start seeing the kingdom and you start seeing the love and mercy and the presence of God and the things that He wants to do in your life, it's hard not to see it anymore. It's hard to miss. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And that sounds like the kingdom of God. Good news. Remember, Jesus came into Galilee. Mark chapter 1. Jesus came into, Mal um, into Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom. I've often had this conversation with people. When we talk about <clears throat> good news, um, when we talk about the gospel, we usually define it that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we can spend eternity with him in heaven, right? Interesting how Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news and he hadn't died yet. So there's a good news of a kingdom. Now that kingdom is made complete in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Don't get that wrong. But the bottom line here is all about the kingdom. The word of God leads to the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? These two things are inextricably linked together between the two. And when you measure that way, you will continue to find it over and over and over again. And people who don't find the kingdom continue to miss it and miss it and miss it and miss it. That's what the text says. And that's been my experience too. See this over and over again. What strikes me though about this whole thing, and I, I actually wrote in my journal this morning, I said, I feel like I'm missing something. And it just struck me. Not too, just, you know, while we're kind of singing here. <laughs> Did you ever notice that that farmer's just sowing seeds? Now, if, if, if I'm responsible for a crop, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to make sure that my, my planting, my area of planting, ain't going to have any rocks and, 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 and places. I want it plowed up, and I want it to be able to receive that seed. And this, this, this fool farmer, he's just scattering it. 
It's all over the place. Some falls on the path. Some falls over here. Some falls over there. Oh my goodness, he's just sowing it over and over and over again. It's crazy. It's not very strategic. He's just sowing it. It's, can I say, indiscriminate in his sowing. Throwing out the seed. But when you're sowing the seeds of the kingdom based on the word, it's going to fall on the ground and, and some will fail. But others are going to grow. And when they grow, they're going to take root and they're going to produce fruit. And it doesn't matter if you're sleeping or not. If you've sown the word and the word of the kingdom, kingdom has power all on its own and it will do what it does. <clears throat> There's one um, passage, the kingdom of God is, is like a mustard, mustard seed, right? There's some evidence to suggest that mustard was actually a weed. I love that. The kingdom of God is like a weed. It reminds me of when you're in the parking lot at Walmart and there's a crack in the pavement and there's that single weed. And I look at that and I'm like, that's the kingdom. The kingdom ends up in weird places all the time. Why? Because it has a power on its own to grow and to mature and to, and to bear, bear fruit. And it grows so big that others find refuge too. And so your job in all of this, I think, is to sow the word and to sow it extravagantly and indiscriminately that you find a way to do that. Here's the thing. This is the thing I want you to remember more than anything else. The kingdom of God is not about exclusivity. It is about availability. Does that make sense? It's not about creating this perfect little thing. It is about making it available for other people. Then Jesus gets involved and Jesus will do the work that needs to go on in their life. You don't have to worry about that. You just need to sow the word. Now, this does not mean that you are quoting scripture at everybody. Right? If you can do that, great. But it doesn't mean that we're just simply quoting scripture at everybody we meet. You know people who are like this? Right? God bless them. I love them. Um, but they've got a verse for everything, and they will say the verses, and sometimes the verses really have nothing to do with what you're talking about, or they're taken out of context and anything, but hey, they're trying to sow the word, and I give them credit for doing that. What I'm more interested in, if I'm going to be sowing, that's a relational thing for me. I need to take and understand the word. I need to try to understand this with all humility. Say, God, what are you telling me in this? To take this and put it in here and then live it out. To absorb this in order to live it out. That's sowing the word. Does that make sense? I think that's the important piece that is easy to miss. That it's not about quoting the scripture, it's about living the scripture because we're not creating exclusivity, we're, we're trying to create availability. I want the branches of the mustard bush to be a place where all the birds can find refuge, where other people can. Hmm. So we find the kingdom in the word of God and we sow that over and over and over because we've absorbed it ourselves and we're living it out.
And you thought this was just about seeds. <laughs> the Word of God and the Kingdom of God are linked. If we want to see the Kingdom, and I don't know about you, but I want to see the Kingdom, then we have to live out what we find in the Word. And it's not a list of rules, and it's not just social justice. It's both and plus a whole lot more. And it starts with what's going on in your own heart. I don't know what's going on in your own heart. I know what's going on in mine. And can I be honest? There are some days I'm not real proud of that. That happens to me too. This week was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, my family and I had a great spring break um, a week ago. It was fabulous. Uh, I had a birthday this week. I took a day off. It was awesome. We had beautiful weather, didn't we? And then Mother Nature went crazy again. And then yesterday, in the span of two hours, three people I know, I found out, had died. One in particular. You probably saw it on Facebook. Um, one of them in particular, I felt like I got punched in the chest. Um... I remember telling my wife last night, I said, you know, I know a lot of people who live horrible lives that lived a lot longer than my friend Pastor Danny. I don't understand that. But I found myself today in my own prayer time thinking about his faithfulness and not just grieving his death, but saying, you know what, I think he's got his reward. And, and yes, heaven and a, and a place that we go when we die is, is part of our story. It's not the only part of the story, but it is part of the story. But what I'm more interested in is faithfulness because Danny sowed the word. And I need that. I need those examples. And so do you. We all do. So I don't know what's going on in your heart. But whatever it is, um, James and I are going to be back here um, ready to pray with you. And Oh, look, we do this every week. And here's the thing. Um, James and I, we don't do this for our benefit, although we do benefit by it. <clears throat> we don't do it for that. We believe that this is a community and we want to sow seeds of the kingdom into your heart. And the, and, and the only way to do that is to really know what's going on with you and then being able to pray into that. We can't do anything to fix anything at all. We, we can't do that. But we know the one who can. And we'd like to pray for you so that you can have some strength and encouragement because there are days, and I know this happens, there are days when you're just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I've, I've had enough. You know what? You can borrow some of my strength for a few minutes. It's okay. I got a little bit extra today. Does that, does that make sense? I like epic music. I like epic movies. And every time I hear that song, I, th I think about <clears throat> that moment in Lord of the Rings not with 10,000 men could you do this. Nope, you're right, Boromir, we can't do that. But with Jesus, we ain't got any problems at all, <laughs> right? We can handle it with Jesus. 
And I still believe that. I believe there's an epic nature to that, that, you know, if you can't handle it, Jesus can. It's not magical thinking. It's something that he does. And it starts on the inside. Because we can have rules and we can have social justice. We can have all that kind of stuff and still not have the kingdom of God. The kingdom starts here with changed people who learn to act and love and to live like Jesus. That's what the kingdom does. That's the kind of seed we want to plant, and that's the kind of plant we want to take root and to bear fruit. Would you agree?